iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for coming to the store today. Please welcome Peter Paris from E. He'll be our moderator for the event. And let's give a warm round of applause for our star of the evening. Round of applause, please. Thank you. Good evening. All right, here we are. So, uh, David, I was looking over a lot of the stuff that you've done. I was a huge fan of Inconvenient Truth. And uh, before we get into uh, It Might Get Loud, one thing that I was kind of wondering about is uh, documentaries have become really popular over the last 10 years. So many different filmmakers, Michael Moore, obviously. Um, What I kind of thought was interesting about um, both these two films is uh, doesn't... Are you kind of... What's the word? Like, sending, using the documentary format more for information and hopefully a passion like what we're about to get into in music as opposed to some documentaries that are more about um, a debate of like, is this right? Is this... Even in Inconvenient Truth, it's more of like a discussion of things. Well, I mean, it's a good question. Documentaries have really evolved a lot in the... Um 60s and 70s documentaries were a revelation because you could take these lightweight cameras and take them into a tenement house and film things that no one had ever seen before. And you're bringing back images of poverty. You're bringing back images of neglect. And people were amazed. Now we have images of everything available to everyone all the time. So that's the documentaries are, 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 you know, that kind of documentary is not as interesting anymore. And documentaries are now moved to more towards storytelling and revealing other types of things. And so you have a wide range from Michael Moore, who's doing you know, extreme editorials, to documentaries that are more informational, more personal journeys. And, um, and more and more in the last 10 years, they've become taken on more dramatic elements with music and uh, suspense and uh, suspenseful endings. So uh, it's a very exciting time for documentaries. And they're making money, which is amazing. Yeah, totally. And speaking of personal journey, um, was this particular project really personal for you? Like, I'm assuming you're a fan of rock and roll, obviously, but... um, Yeah, I'm a fan of rock and roll, and and I never thought that music would be ever relevant uh, to what I do, but um, I had tried to to, um, sell this documentary about how artists uh, create. It was about five years ago, and I tried to sell it to PBS, and they rejected it completely. And I was kind of brokenhearted about it. And um, then Thomas Toll, who is a producer at Warner Brothers, uh, who produced 300 and Batman Begins, uh, said, I want to do this documentary about the electric guitar. And I was like, how do you make a documentary about the electric guitar? And I was like, you know, two minutes on Jimi Hendrix and two minutes on Jimmy Page. And it would be encyclopedic. And I said, why don't I revamp that old idea, this very personal journey of artists, and said, what if we do about three guitarists instead of every guitarist and one of those three guys from three different generations so it, it became a really I, I became excited because it um, it became a challenge to make a very different type of documentary you know three interweaving stories of people who've never met and what happens if they come together on a soundstage you know and confront each other about music so it was very exciting to like try something very different well as I'm sure a lot of people know by now um, those three icons you're talking about are Jimmy Page the Edge and Jack White. Uh, did you or this project is 
brought before you, were they already involved or like how was it decided those three particular ones? So they were not involved and we, um, the, I think maybe the, the hardest thing was to pick the right guys. You, you not only needed people you liked, but people who are willing to open up. And I think one of the challenges in most documentaries, the challenge in documentaries is to get people to open up with Al Gore and Inconvenient Truth. It was, can you get this guy to really sh share his soul? And can you look at him in a very different way? And that was, you know, the success of the film to me is him really kind of opening up in a way you never saw before. And so with rock and roll documentaries, some of the ones I think you see that maybe aren't as good is when you have, you know, you still keep this rock legend at a distance. And uh, so we, the, the challenge is to find the right guys, but also convince them to trust you to open up and share themselves. And, you know, why don't you show the first clip because that'll give you a sense of how personal a movie is. We have four clips and if you want, you know. I apprenticed out to a lot of people when I was younger. I was an apprentice in an upholstery shop when I was a teenager. Brian Muldoon was the master of the upholstery shop, and uh, he was the one teaching me, and he played drums. Well, I guess I'll play guitar then. So when we were done with our work day, we moved the couches over and uh, set up and play in the shop. Surf and Rockley, Dick Dale, and trying to absorb everything. He'd pick me up from school. I'd start tearing down the furniture, or ripping off fabric and cotton off uh, old chairs, gluing fabric to foam on weird curves, tearing off all the old fabric. You imagine all the stuff that's inside of a couch, M&M's, cereal, and the baby's toys. Oh, here's how you sew a, a welt cord. Oh, here's how you sew a fly strip on the back of a decking. He exposed me to punk music, the Velvet Underground, the Cramps. Really took me under his wing to be an employee and to play music together. And I started writing songs. Kind of became a band. We got to put out a record, and we called it The Upholsterers. So that's a, the style of the movie. And, and you notice that he's never on camera speaking in that section. And, and that was one of the things I've been experimenting with a lot is, you know, a lot of documentaries in your mind are these talking heads, people, you know, and, and, you, and, and when you, they start talking, your mind wanders like, oh, they cut their hair or they're, uh, they got older, you know. And to me, it was like more and more you're thinking, well, uh, if you just hear their voice, uh, maybe you... Uh, and, and, you, and you use more impressionistic memory type pho photographs, the, the, the film can go deeper and, and the audience can use their imagination. And uh, it became a sort of an exciting uh, idea. And, and in fact, one of the things I started with is we, uh, when I sat down with Jack and Jimmy and Edge for the first time, we just, uh, we didn't take a camera crew. We just sat in a room with two microphones and we talked for three days. And those conversations were just audio, and they became the sort of the heart and soul of the movie. You know, no sit-down, on-camera, you know, static interviews. Huh. I didn't know that. That's really cool. Um, actually, one of the things that I love about the opening, I don't know how many people have seen the film, um, but akin here with uh, 
Jack White. It's him, I guess, kind of creating a guitar, would you say? It's like... He's building a diddly bow. Uh, um, uh, and for those of you, um, the reason why we're here, not only because uh, I love and adore Apple in every single possible manifestation. Got my first Mac uh, freshman year at Brown in 1983. One of the first thousand Macs. But um, because iTunes has supported this movie and they've, we, we've given them a two-week exclusive on this movie, so you can pre-order it now, but it becomes available next on the 8th. Like, you can actually get it and see it. Um, and it's been a really great uh, friendship with, with iTunes and Apple and Chris Bell. But um, what was the question? Oh, I... Sorry. <laughs> I hadn't gotten to the question yet, but what's my name? Yeah. What yeah. David? Um, yeah, Davis. Yeah. I one of the things I like in the clip that you're showing and in the opening is uh, right. Jack White talks about um, how ease of use can be a problem, right. and oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so many of us think of guitars as something you buy in a store, right. and the movie shows a lot of how kind of put together a lot of these artists are with their instruments. So we were shooting on a, uh, this farm in Tennessee where Jack often plays, and it's this rundown farm. And uh, Jack uh, looks underneath the porch and finds this two by four. And he starts, and he asks for a hammer. And I started, well, uh, let's film this. And he grabs this two by four, starts hammering two nails together, strings some barbed wire between the nails, edges in a, a, a Coke bottle, and starts fumbling around with it and starts making sounds with it, tightening it up. And then he gets a, he rips out a pick from an old guitar. So, excuse me, a pickup the kind that you have on a guitar, and hammers that in and then plugs it into his amp and starts playing it. And it was just magic. And he started, and I said, can you play I Fought Piranhas, which is one of my favorite songs. And he takes this barbed wire with one string on a two by four and plays that song. And it became this sort of like theme for us. It's like, how do you rethink this instrument? If electric guitar is like a two by four, uh, it's not this f glossy Gibson you buy in a store. It could be anything. It's more of an attitude. That became sort of the, the thing that drove us to make the film. So. And actually one of the coolest things in that scene is that um, uh, then I'm assuming that there's a... It looks like they're on, yeah, on a farm and there's like cows in the background. Yeah, it's just an old, or a cow, I guess. old decrepit Tennessee farm. Yeah. But you keep see, um, seeing shots of the cow and we're you know, seeing them put it together. Yeah. The first time we actually hear the strum, it actually kind of sounded like an animal to me, which yeah. I liked. I yeah, thought that was really yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that was intentional or anything, but I was like, oh, that's so strange, you know? So. Well, if you think about the guitar, before it was electrified, it was this pristine instrument. It was, you know, that was played in Spain, played in other places too, but it has this sort of like, you know, beautiful, quiet, you know, when you put it in, I'm doing, doing another movie now, when you put a guitar in, an acoustic guitar, it's, it's really for something very wholesome. It has that feeling. It can be different. When people electrified the guitar, it became angry, and it became sexual, and it became all these really interesting things. And it, and it something happened, which became this sort of this voice of, of a generation or many generations. Um, and that became. And so, it's not just you know we didn't make a film about the piano. We made a film about the electric guitar, you know, and so we wanted to get into that sort of what are the, the raw elements that come from that instrument. Yeah, which is awesome. Um, did we, I think, is each clip with uh, yeah. each Do you want to show the next one? Show we, the other clip, yeah. Okay, cool.
I was 17, I think. The summer of 78. My family actually were in New York. It was like walking into a movie for me. I mean, I remember not only did they speak like they did in the movies, but the cars looked like they did in the movies. That's actually how people spoke. That's actually what the place looked like. burden when you have a truck or a van because everybody you know wants you to move their stuff for them you know so every time you get a phone call you're like yeah I'll come help you move your stove or your safe so I helped uh, my brother move a refrigerator him and his wife started managing a, a St. Vincent de Paul store it's like a Salvation Army uh, kind of store in Detroit so I helped him move a refrigerator there. The sunburst, tobacco sunburst. My first electric, just tremendous. Just couldn't believe it when I actually got it home. And there it was in the, in the house. This was the one, this was the one that I was after. I went around to the stores on, on the street and found Stuyvesant guitars. Guitars everywhere, people everywhere. This instrument was just there, calling out to me. This explorer. I was really starting to go on my way then. My technique started to improve. Became like a total addiction, to the point where actually I was now starting to take it to school. And I'd be practicing during the recess breaks. And then it got to the point where the guitar was confiscated. They thought it was going to be counterculture or something. It wasn't doing any harm to anybody. Not then it wasn't. So Jack White has a, uh, I think everyone who's a fan of the White Stripes or Rock Hand Tours or, is it Dead Weather? Is that the last one? Um, Dead Weather, yeah. Yeah, Dead Weather. He clearly has a fascination with um, industrial age type stuff, putting that together, as opposed to like a synthesizer. Right, right. Um, but let's talk about Jimmy Page for a second. When I listen to Led Zeppelin, I, I always... I'm very aware of this very kind of big electronic sound. I don't necessarily think of it as like the farm, right. um, which is there's a scene in the film where he's playing one of the big Led Zeppelin songs, but he's just strumming it himself. Whole, oh, uh, Ramble On. Yeah, 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 yeah Ramble yeah, On. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's, I mean, it's just, it, uh, well, one, obviously being a kid growing up with Led Zeppelin, it kind of takes me back. But um, it's, it is interesting how someone like Jimmy Page and Jack White, and then obviously we'll get to The Edge, can kind of be connected by what is, I guess, an electric guitar, even though their sensibilities are really different. And if you could talk about some of the sensibilities of someone like Jimmy Page. Well, that was the whole idea of the movie, was not what they had in common, but what, what was different about them. You know, and what Jack, when Jack, I was interviewing Jack on the way to the studio, we had this, the largest studio at Warner Brothers, and we, we made sure that they had never met. We actually plotted different 
paths for them so they they wouldn't meet until they were actually on camera and i and i jack's in the car on the way and i said jack what do you think's going to happen and he goes probably a fist fight you know and and you know he was joking but there was also some truth to it that the edge is so completely different it's the same instrument but what they do is so completely different and you'll see in the next clip we won't talk about it right now but the um you know edge plays just a couple notes but he puts it through 17 boxes and and all this reverb and all this stuff that no one under and pedals and, and and the artistry goes through this electronic wizardry whereas jimmy is all about attitude it's all about you know plugging one guitar into one amp and getting his sexuality through this machine you know and 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 where Ed, where edge is more scientific and you know that that kind of raw aggression isn't there and jack is just something completely different and to me that's what's you know even if you're not interested in music if you're interested in computers or games or movies or that that what's great about and what's fascinating to me is that that every great artist it's all about their voice you know and what's great about these three guys is they have three distinct voices so that you could be in a Starbucks or an Apple store and you hear a great song and you know who it is. Where if it's not a great song, it could be anybody. You know, and Jack White is Jack White and Jimmy Page is Jimmy Page and the edge is the edge. They're so different. But you know, they but they found their individual voices and that's what's was you know you know, you think about when you what you hope for when you make a movie is that the movie you're making changes you. You know, I'm never gonna be a rock star. But the things that, are, that I learned and, I, and just through osmosis felt like, you know, if, if I can in my movies find a voice and find um, a really strong sense of myself and what, I, what, what it work, works for me, you know, then I'll, find, then, then I'll do what I wanted. And I, and I could, you know, maybe, you know, gleam a little bit from these guys. So. Uh, yeah, no, I, I agree. And actually, I, I think I see that in your work because... You're talking. We're talking about a film that seems to be very kind of about a musicianship that seems to be kind of eclectic, and the documentary itself has a lot of different film stock. Some of that is just because, well, if you want a shot of Bono when he's younger, like what we're seeing, that's just what you have. But it does speak to the piece itself. Like you see a lot of ways that almost like a collage. Like instead of it being like a singular thing, it's but it somehow does become this piece well, one of the things you know you one of the things you start when you make a movie one of the things you start with is what the movie you don't want to make you know and, and and i you know how many rock and roll documentaries you see which like they they move towards you know the climactic scene is a car wreck or a drug overdose you know or 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 the other the other thing is like you know and then they came out of the studio and they changed music forever you know you had this sort of platitude about writers or musicians that are just so like canned and, and, and they mean nothing to you and so the idea was like why don't we do something very different like so so personal and that was the hope on this one yeah. well and actually for uh again for anybody who hasn't seen the movie the basic if i'd say the basic structure of the film is that we are looking into the lives of these three icons uh page the edge and jack white uh but it's leading to them playing together and we kind of see hints of it but of course you're waiting for that big ending where it's like, well, what's this going to be? What's, is it going to be a rock and jam session? Is it going to be kind of quiet? You know, like, uh, and I don't want to give that away. Um, but uh, it does inform the piece because you are kind of wondering how these personalities that, you're right, are kind they, you wouldn't think they would be, have similarities even though they're all in rock and roll. But it, when they start playing together, it completely, it's completely organic. Totally makes sense, you know. 
which I think is really cool. Um, but uh, did you want to say anything about the the edge, or do you want to do a clip? Let's see another clip. All right, it's, cool. It gives you something to think about. Yeah. I had this record at home of uh, a guitar that had a lot of sustain on it and I and I and I, I got him to come down and have a listen to it. I said, Can you get that? And he went away and came back with this phenomenal thing. A distortion pedal which overloads the signal. Overdrive the sound and make it sound pretty rude. Talk to me about uh, the edge. I don't think we've heard too much about, which is where, because uh, my generation, he's pretty much the of the three. Yeah. He's like the. I mean, I've you know pretty much have every U two album and everything. And when I did hear about this documentary, kind of like what you were saying before, I was kind of like, I'm not sure how the edge will fit into this because even though I, I think he's great, a lot of it does sound like it's been through so many right. layers and everything. The edge is one of the most decent, humble cool dudes you've ever met in your life and when we um and you know there's an expression that you the band has is like be careful when edge takes a screwdriver out because once he starts tinkering uh you can't get him out of his bubble and uh, so we were shooting one night in the in dublin in their hq which they call the headquarters and he was we were shooting and he was and you'll see it in the next clip he's working on this machine and and we shoot, we shoot all day, we shoot 12 hours, it's two o'clock in the morning, and it's time to go home. And the crew had to get off, and, and we were you know, in overtime, and we wrapped all our lights, we put all the cameras in the car, and I go, you know, I didn't say goodbye to Edge, and I go back, and he's still at this machine, and it's in complete darkness. And I said, uh, you know, goodbye, Edge. And he's like, oh, goodbye. And he went back to work. I mean, he's this sort of tinkerer, you know, and not that what you'd imagine a rock star being, but someone so intensely focused and so really wanting something very specific to be right. And um, it's, just, it's just so amazing how different that is than Jimmy Page, who is, you know, I've heard people criticize Jimmy as a really sloppy guitarist. Like you see these solos and you say, well, you know, he didn't really get that right and he's, he's out of rhythm there or he misses that note. But there's something else that he does which is so passionate and so it's like an actor forgetting his lines but getting the motion right you know and i think that would be jimmy page you should play the next clip because it's you can see the thing on, on edge next see what i'm talking about i think it's right <laughs> The rest is the foot pedal, the effects, the whole thing. You know, so if you're on acoustic guitar and say, here's my new riff, it's a really cool riff, listen. So, I mean, Jimmy would never play dong, dong, right? But that song is iconic, what you just heard. And it's, it's really, so it's really fascinating. And there's a, there's a parallel to people here who love, I mean, I'm sure everyone here loves Apple and computers, but you could take the same computer... 
and do magical things over here with it in a completely different way and take the same computer do magical things over here with it. And so it's really never about the equipment, is it? I mean, when people, when filmmakers come to me and say, I really want to make movies, don't you think the DX321 is the very best camera you could ever have and it's the next, you know, and we have to make a movie? Then I'm like, it's never about the equipment. You know, you love great tools and you love the next, and you know, we have Apple everywhere in our office and we edit and it's our best tool. But ultimately, it's the ideas and the passion that you do to, to make those tools work for you. And that's what's so interesting about the, making this movie, that three people took the same piece of wood with strings on it and make you know, three different things. You know, you know actually, uh, yeah. And uh, there's a documentary um, that you unfortunately did not do, but uh, I think it's from early 2000 called Scratch, and it's about uh, turntables. And a lot of DJs nowadays use Macs because I think basically it's their way of holding instead of carrying vinyls around and everything. But when I was watching the movie, I did think that too, that it's a lot of like, there, there are things that can make life simpler, like the Macs, which is just like, it's nice to make it easier. Um, but ultimately, yes, the creativity still lies with those three guys or any of the other, you know. Well, Jack would musicians. say to me, Jack uh, hates digital. Jack White. He, you know, when we were filming, he said, you know, I don't, uh, please don't use a digital camera. Please don't record on... Everything now is recorded digitally. You, know, you have to go back and get the reel-to-reel tape machines to, to, to play them. And because he, he doesn't... I mean, his thing is he doesn't want it to be easy. You know, his feeling is like you have to make it hard. So you, that his guitar, that, 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 um, the one you saw in the clip before, is a, a shitty K guitar. And it falls out of tune all the time. But he, but he wants to... As he says, pick a fight with the guitar and win the fight. And because it's so hard to play, as opposed to the perfectly constructed $10,000 Gibson. He doesn't want it to be easy. So it's really fascinating, that philosophy, whereas Edge lives in the technology. When I was in, first met him in a studio, I said, what is that program you're using? He's a garage band. <laughs> he writes his music on a garage band, you know, free software from Apple. You know, it's pretty cool. I mean, that Edge, the most technical of all three, the, the, the person who uses, you, you think would need all the different layers and the most sophisticated, at least Pro Tools and the, the higher end audio stuff, he doesn't. He uses a consumer-based free software garage band that's, that's you know, it's here. Some, it's, so it's, it's really, you know, it's really fascinating, you know, that, how people use these tools so differently. Huh. Yeah, but that, yeah, interesting. Um, one, uh, actually, I guess I'd like to go back to Jack White because I don't think I really we talked too much about him. Did you, with all this, because I know that Jack White is actually still a person. Well, actually, I guess all, all three are still um, playing in venues and everything. Did you, in this, go and see the Rock and Tours, go see Dead Weather? Did you not necessarily use it for the film, yeah. but just to like go out and see them in their elements and everything? It crossed my mind that making the film about them would help me get tickets to their concerts. <laughs> and we, uh, my, I took my wife to Vegas to see the new U2 show. Has anyone here seen it? Yeah, I mean, it was crazy great. And uh, I just sat there in awe. And I was next to these two elderly people, uh, and they were very quiet and very well-dressed. And I was like, Who? and I found out they were Edge's mom and dad. <laughs> and his mom was rocking out and knew every single word to every song. But, um, no, and, and, and Jimmy is, so... Yes, um, I saw the Dead Weather and I saw the Tours and the White Stripes and you just want to immerse yourself in everything. It's harder to see Jimmy Page play. You know, he's only played once since I worked with him, which is this O2 concert uh, with, with the Led Zeppelin reunion, which was one night, which I missed. But um, 
Yeah, I mean, there's nothing. I think there's nothing better than seeing bands live. I mean, that's what I love for. And we, it's in the movie. I mean, we uh, the Rock on Tours playing in Austin yeah. and and Jimmy playing and the Edge playing. So we filmed a lot of live stuff for this. Do we have one more clip or? I think that's it. Is that? Oh yes, yes, it does. Oh my lord! <laughs> wow, that's impressive. was a single cutaway and I had a, this brilliant luthier in Seattle, uh, Randy Parsons. He made it a double cutaway for me. And then I said, well, listen, I have an idea. Can you just, can you put a silver, uh, a green bullet harmonica mic on the guitar so I can just take it out and, and right there. I got this echo unit and I brought it back to rehearsal. I just got totally into playing, but listening to the return echo. Filling in notes that I'm not playing, like two guitar players rather than one. The exact same thing, but it's just a little bit off to one side. I could see ways to use it that had never been used. Suddenly, everything changed. I think we can um, open to questions. I wanted to uh, say, though, uh, it's been uh, great talking to you here. And you were saying that Jack White talked about um, how ease of use is bad and you want things to be hard. Did you want that when you were filming, though? Like, because yeah. I don't know. Like, did you have a deadline? You're like, well, we kind of want this done in a certain amount of time, or I, I don't know. Well, it's a question. Ease of use is a really interesting phenomenon. We have uh, I, the first film I ever made was on film, and every time you wanted to make a cut, like change from one shot to the other, you'd have to take the film, cut it with a sharp knife, uh, take it apart take another piece of film, put it down between these sprockets, take a piece of tape, push the thing down, make sure it's done right, and feed it through the editing machine. And so if you wanted to like tr try to cut a scene in a different way, it would take you two days. Now you have an idea for a scene, and it's all on computers that we buy here. You know, we have three Avids. You know, for three machines that cost less than $5,000 each, we edit this movie on. You know, and it's so it's available to everyone. So that's amazing. The, the the thing that I think that Jack is talking about is that like the struggle and the thing that keeps you up at night and how to, how do I figure out how to tell a story, or how do I make this story better than the the cliche movies that I've seen before? That's really hard. And so that's that struggle that that, that, that produces all the really interesting magical stuff. So if you try to get a, if you try to like avoid the struggle, your work is never going to be any good. But don't be afraid of the tools that help you make it easy. You know, if you're if you're ready when the, when you've gone through the struggle. But you know, um, I've wanted to pick up you know uh, my keyboard and throw it across the room sometimes. You know, <laughs> but it's not about the keyboard. It's about my own. It's it's, it's internal struggle. But it's a fascinating. Um, it sounds like an interesting dialectic, but it's a fascinating 
thing between ease of use and like I have a thought, I have to type this up in the easiest way and my computer is helping me right now to, you know, really needing to push yourself in a way which produces things, you know, beyond your own expectations. Cool. Uh, Want to open up any questions for anybody? Anybody any questions? Oh, uh, this is just a follow-on to what you had asked. Uh, and to what degree did you actually accommodate Jack White? Did you bring in some real-to-real uh, decks? Because uh, he said no digital. Uh. In this case, I did. You know, I, I wanted to. Accom- the question was, how much did I did I accommodate him when he asked for non-digital? And I, I liked that idea. I was like, great. You know, uh, maybe it'll make the film, his part of the film, feel and look differently. So we shot all his stuff on film and we recorded it with these old mics and the texture of his sound and the look of the, f- is different. So and it's an interesting thing as a filmmaker. Sometimes you, you get your back up when someone tells you to do something differently. And then you think, it, then if you turn it the other way, you say, well, maybe he's pushing me in a direction I never thought I would go and it's better for it. So in this case, I thought it worked. Anybody else? Well, oh, this gentleman in the front row, but we covered everything. Yeah, we're good. Biggest rock band in the world, and the movie kind of shows it's very personal, and it does. You know, I just picture him like, you know, with Bono going all over the world, and just it seems so low key. I mean, how did you get that kind of dimension? How did you get him? I don't know. I didn't picture his life being like that. I pictured like him just jetting off and you know it just seems so personal I guess how did you get him in that well he's that way you know I mean I think uh, if he was Mr. Jet Set that would have that's the great thing about documentaries is is that you know if you really go for what they're like they're going to come through Um, and uh, if they're guarded that'll come through if they're quiet that'll come Edge, Edge is a very modest you know internal guy and I think there's something about the guitar. The common thing about them is that, you know, English is their second language, meaning they picked up the guitar because I think words were useless to them and that they, want, they wanted to express themselves through another dimension. And I think maybe that's why he's so reserved, you know, is that, the, you know, his guitar speaks for him. Anyone? Question? Oh, someone in the back. Um, the two films, Inconvenient Truth and It Might Get Loud, are so different. What made you decide to go from doing something about global warming to go into the guitar? And then how did you pick the three guitarists for the documentary? Was it a collaboration of all of you thinking of this, or was it you and then contacting them? Uh, the... the I wanted to do a different film after Inconvenient Truth because I didn't want to be the sort of environmental film guy, you know, and uh, um, I, I'm still like obsessed with the environment. I put solar panels in my house, I drive a Prius, and I think there's another documentary that, in my future about the environment. But I, I'm a storyteller first. Um, to, a lot of people think Inconvenient Truth was a, a story about a slideshow and you know, charts and graphs and ice drilling. And to me, it's a story about uh, a man's redemption. 
like a, a, a politician who fell from grace who's trying to find himself. You know, and that's sort of the core of any kind of good movie you're trying to make is that, that it has something else. So, you know, to go and do an Inconvenient Truth 2 would have been, I couldn't have done it. You know, it just would have been different. Um, the, the, the second question is, how did I pick them? Yeah, yeah. The, the, it was very, the, how do we pick them was very intuitive. I mean, some of the guys who we wanted would have needed subtitles. You know, like, uh, you, you see them on camera, and they're like, well, so how did you get your first guitar? I was like, ah, yeah. So you didn't want that. But, um, and, uh, and some were, you know, some rock stars are just so full of themselves or so um, into their own legend. They're just telling you the same story they told a thousand times. These three guys, and having met with them and talked to them through before we chose them, it was like, you know, these guys were interested in telling a story. They're interested in revealing something about themselves. And I think that's true in whoever you pick for any documentary, you know, so. Actually, um, I mean, just, um, you know, a fan of your work. In a way, I would kind of say inconvenient truth, and it might be loud if there is a, a through thing. You had kind of mentioned earlier how, you know, she was saying that, like, it's not about, it's not Bono, and it's not... Uh, the president of the United States. So in a way, I can kind of see a connection of the two movies. It's like you have vice president and you have these people that very integral being the guitar players in a band. So that's kind of, maybe that's something that kind of well, interests you. There was a challenge that was similar in that there, um, sometimes you make, the documentary make, I'm finishing right now is about these five kids who you've never met. This little, this 10-year-old girl in East LA and this 12-year-old kid in Anacostia in Washington, you know, there's a film about public schools. And these are, inter you know, the audience has never met them before, and they're willing to, like, meet them in a really honest, open, genuine way. When you make a film about someone that people think they know, it's a little bit more difficult. Like, you thought you, I thought I knew Al Gore until I met him, you know, and I th you think you know who the, the bot, who the Edge is. You know, you think he's getting on a private plane and drinking mojitos, you know. But that's, and that's, there's a challenge, not only that, that, that um, they're so famous and they're used to cameras, but also the audience thinks they know them. And so they have all this baggage. You sort of have to dismiss and sort of clear the table of the impressions that they already have. So there's similarity, the similar challenge in those movies. All right. Any, uh, oh. Uh, to get slightly techy for a little bit, uh, since sound is so crucial to this film, where, where did you uh, mix it and master it and that kind of stuff? Um, the question is where do we, uh, sound is very important. And we, you know, we, uh, we really had to think about it because documentary crews are used to just recording on two tracks. But we, and they're very small crews, but when, when these guys were playing, we needed 16, 18 tracks and microphones all around the room. And we really had to find the best, the trick is to find the best location sound recorders who understand music, but also can get on a truck and start shooting. You know, documentaries, you're run and gun. So that was one part of it. And the other part of it was uh, having a great mixer here in LA and this guy named Skip Leavesey, who mixed an Inconvenient Truth, but also mixes all the Coen Brothers movies. Um, and mixed uh, the U2 3D movie. So it was a lot of crossover uh, of finding someone who understands movies and how to mix for a large theater, but also someone who understands music, you know, and often we would, we would mix it to the point where we liked it and then we'd call Edge. Edge would come in and we'd play it for him and he says, well, that's not right, you know. So um, the sound was very important in a way that in documentaries, 
sound is very you know if you can hear the dialogue you're you're happy in this movie it was you had to hear the music so um and get it right because these guys you know this is their you know you're representing their you know their their voice with with how you're mixing the sound any other questions all right I just um, wanted to know if you use the same editor on both films. That's sort of the first question. The second question is just a, a contrast between the two films. I'm sort of curious how many days you spent in production on each film and, and, and post. Um, the question was editors and amount of days. And I, um, between the, the Inconvenient Truth? Yeah, did you use the same editor? Different on both editors. Films? Different mm-hmm. editors. And, um, you know, first of all, it's very difficult to find a great documentary film editor. It's much easier to find a great film editor. Why? And a, and a television editor, and I've done both. Um, because with a... F- if, and I would much prefer... If you said you had to take a film editor to make a documentary or a documentary editor to make a film, like, you know, documentary film, documentary editor who's never done a film to do a film or a film editor who's never done a documentary to do a documentary, I would much prefer to take the documentary editor. Because when you're making a film, there's a script. You know, and so you're, one of the hardest things about making a documentary is already written down for you. You know you're, you're building towards a chase scene at the end and the girl get, guy gets a girl. And, you know, um, so a lot of the, in the documentary, you're writing the script as you're, as you're editing. So the, the, uh, to me, the demand of editing, the demands of storytelling on the editor are very high. And there's only a few people who can do it. And... An editor who can tell a story about, you know, with a lot of charts and graphs like we did in Inconvenient Truth versus an editor who can cut music is very different. So it's like, I, I see it like casting. You know, you can have, you can have ro- a great actor like Robert De Niro, but he's in the wrong movie. You know, you can have a great editor, but he's editing the wrong movie. And so th- those are really important and critical choices. And maybe the most important relationship you have in the movie is not the cinematographer or the sound mixer. It's the editor. Because they are constructing, they're, tell, they're, they're, they're writing the script with you in the editing room. It's, a, it's the hardest work you do in a documentary. And, you know, uh, we cut this movie for more than a year. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot of work every single day. So. Was that the same with Inconvenient Truth? Did it take a year of post? We made Inconvenient Truth in five and a half months. From the minute we got the money to the minute it was at Sundance. That, that includes production time? Everything. And so we had three editors. We were shooting while we were editing. It was a... M- it was a mission from God. So, yeah. and, and I would never do it again. It was impossible. Yeah. How, ma- yeah. how many days did you take to shoot this? Uh, the, I didn't answer you the other question. Yes. Yeah. So this was, and it's, very, it's, every, it's really interesting. Everything is different. This I shot about five days for each guitarist separately, and then about three days at Warner Brothers when they all came together. So not a lot of shooting. Whereas the documentary I'm shooting now is 80 days of shooting, you know, in five different cities, and it's all over. But it depends on what, Documentaries are like, you know, they can't, you can't pin them down because each is a different type of story which has different questions and different demands. Actually, are you happy with, um, and I, don't, I know that uh, iTunes has this thing now where, um, unfortunately I don't know what it's called, but it's basically kind of like DVD extras where you can download the movie but you're also getting like extras. So when you're doing a documentary like Inconvenient Truth or uh, it might... Uh, might get loud. Might get loud. Um, are, are there scenes where you're like, you know, this doesn't really fit, but 
luckily, because of extras, people can still see this. You know, if you guys haven't been on iTunes recently and seen the new movie section and the new, uh, the first of all, there's a movie music section which is brand new, which we're in, but also just the, the extras that you can get on. The, it's it's like it's it's equal to me to the experience of like when you used to have an LP and you open it up. And you get to see the pictures of the band. You get right. to see who wrote the lyrics. And you get to, so for our movie, um, we had those things, and we have all these all this music that they played um, uh, that you we didn't get to put in the movie. So Jimmy Page um, playing Cashmere and uh, the, the Edge playing you know all these different songs, and it's just, it's incredible. There you go. Look at that. But if you go on and, and for movies. Um, it's really amazing what you can do now on iTunes for movies. Do you guys, did anyone here download movies on iTunes? It's like, for a year, I have to confess, a year ago, I, I thought it was, a, it was a silly ambition to be able to download a movie. It just wouldn't compete. And now I download a movie once a week, and, you know, and we put it on, on our big screen, and it looks fantastic. And, 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 you know, and you have this great interactivity, and I, and I really recommend it. And, you know, it's like, you find movies that you could never find in a video store. Yeah, I think like Up and Star Trek just came out, and they have that extra thing that you're talking about where it, it basically looks like an interactive menu. It's, yeah, it's really, it's really robust. Yeah, it's now. Question? What would you say as someone who's a filmmaker are like your top five documentaries or top five favorite movies? Movies or that documentaries? That you would recommend or- either. Documentaries. Oh my God, there's so many. There's Favorite a, documentaries. There's um there's a great for this movie the one that inspired me in a lot of ways was this movie No Direction Home, which is a documentary about Rob, uh, Bob Dylan that Martin Scorsese made. There's a film called The, the Last Waltz that okay. Martin Scorsese made. Um, boy, uh, Anvil. Have you guys seen Anvil? I mean, sort of a sister to this goal. Um, an amazing documentary. Uh, there's just so many, you know, and. That's what you, it's just like saying, well, um, people have this impression that documentaries are the same thing. And it's like this very wide open, you know, um, experience. And there's so many different types of stories and so many types of storytelling. So, you know, and the thing is you go on here, you go on iTunes and you start looking and you find the next one, you find the next one, you find the next one. And you just get sucked in into this like universe. I'm assuming you're also a fan of the mockumentary because there's a spinal tap clip in there. There's a spinal tap clip in there. I always but need you, a spinal tap clip. Uh, uh, yeah, Edge has this great thing where he says, I, when I watched Spinal Tap, I didn't laugh, I wept. <laughs> because it was too close to the truth. Because you know, all these bands were, were that way, and they weren't trying to be funny. They were trying to be serious. Long-haired guys sticking their tongues out and you know, stuffing things in their pants you know, <laughs> to, 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 for weird reasons. Yeah. So. Any other questions? We got like five minutes. Anybody else got some questions? There is a, uh, there's a commentary track. I'm not sure if it's on iTunes. Um, it may be just on the DVD, but I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. Is the commentary track just you, or is it the, the three of them also? Or? It's, ju- it's me and the, and the editor and the producer, Leslie Chilcott and, and Greg Fenton. Yeah. You, you see, it does seem like you really find documentaries pretty rewarding, although I don't know if you all out here have looked at this guy on IMDb, but you've worked on a lot of shows, like... Alias, twenty four. I mean, you've really had a lot of a lot of what you were just talking about before, more scripted, big like yeah. productions. I love documentaries, and I recommend it. I mean, part of it is people leave you alone. 
you know they don't know what it uh, and, I, and, I, and I do a lot of, I do every year I do a pilot of television and I it's really fun and rewarding and and they pay me a lot of money uh, but I love documentaries because I get to make the films I want to make you know I've you know creative control and it you know less people see them but when they see them they're really they love them you know so so, yeah. so the edge uh page and jack white they had no like final cut say they were totally cool with whatever you no. oh, out of out of respect i showed them the movie and they get you know and it was smart because sometimes you get something wrong you say well that photo was you know from another band oh well yeah you know and and um but they, they left me alone. It was like, in, you know, it was, they showed me a lot of respect. And part of it is because it was a documentary, you know, and, and, and I, I don't know why, you know, um, but somehow you get to do what you want to do. So, you know, that's much, I find my freedom much more important than my comfort. So. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, David. And uh, I think you're right. I think it comes out next week on iTunes. Which comes is out next 8th, week on the eighth. You can pre-order yeah. it now, but you can buy it on iTunes on the eighth. Yeah. So um, thank you. I want to thank the Apple Store. I want to thank Peter for for doing this. This is really special and fun. And and thank you for coming today.